This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for this week's Know Your Foe episode. Looking forward to that game against the Titans in London. And joining us here to talk about it is Justin Mello, who works for the Draft Network. And uh, Justin, how are you doing? Doing well, Ken. Appreciate you for having me on. Okay. I appreciate you. Hopefully this audio is going to work out the, the, the way we hope it will. But uh, uh, appreciate you doing a reciprocal engagement here to, to talk about the uh, – uh, the Titans and, and take us through their scheme uh, and personnel. And why don't we just uh, start with the off season this year for the Titans? What were some of the big moves that, that happened for them? Well, they certainly retooled their offensive line, right? I think that was the biggest move they made in the off season. You know, Ryan Tannehill was under duress quite frequently last season. And in fact, to the point where he suffered two separate ankle injuries, uh, second of which was a recurring, right? A, a re a reaggravation of the initial injury ended his season prematurely, right? And lots of issues there up front, certainly, uh, especially when left tackle Taylor Juan went down with a season-ending torn ACL, and they moved to Dennis Daly, um, who ended up giving up the most sacks in the NFL last season, uh, you know, according to Pro Football Focus. So they entered the offseason, they they retooled the thing completely. They released center Ben Jones, you know, sort of at the, was, was at the end of his line, also suffered multiple concussions this past year. They allowed starting right guard Nate Davis to walk in free agency. And then you had starting right tackle Nicholas petit Friere uh, was suspended six games for violating the league's gambling policy. Now, that has since been downgraded to four games, and he is eligible to play this Sunday against Baltimore. But it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. Mike Vrabel said they're not ready to make that change and insert him back into the lineup. So uh, the offensive line actually does not have a single player uh, playing in the same position they were in last year. And the reason I say that is they've got four new starters from last year, and the one returning player actually switched positions. It was left guard Aaron Brewer that's now playing center for them. So uh, to sort of sum up the changes, you've got left tackle Andre Dillard, who they signed to a three-year, uh, approximately $30 million contract. Left guard is rookie first-round pick Peter Skaronsky who's sort of been in and out of the lineup this year, uh, unfortunately had to go emergency surgery for a, a ruptured uh, appendix, but he is back now, back healthy and in the lineup. Center Aaron Brewer, who I mentioned, at right guard, they went with a, a value signing, sort of speaking, Daniel Brunskill, a guy they brought over from the San Francisco 49ers, was well known to uh, first-year GM Rand Carthon, who was with him in San Francisco and right tackle is uh, veteran journeyman Chris Hubbard, who uh, Ravens fans probably know well, spent some time with your divisional foe, the Cleveland Browns, once upon a time. Uh, they're actually down to what's technically their third choice right tackle because uh, when Petit Friere got suspended, they thought it was going to be Jamarco Jones, you know, a veteran that they liked. Well, after he got into a couple of fights in practice during the offseason, they flat out cut him. He got into fights on back-to-back -back days 
And they said enough's enough with this attitude. And, and they brought in Chris Hubbard, a, a free agency. And Hubbard's actually played quite well for them to the point where they don't plan on going back to Nicholas Petit for a year yet. But uh, certainly that was the biggest change of the offseason was all the movement across the offensive line. Who was the, I'm sorry, you might've mentioned him already, but the tackle who had all the psychological problems was caught outside a, uh, I think a college dorm room on a ledge hiding Isaiah, from... Isaiah Wilson, former first-round pick of theirs out of Georgia. So essentially, certainly one of the biggest whiffs in team history, right? A first-round pick that essentially never played for them because there was just a lot of attitude issues, showing up to meetings late, several uh, off-field incidents. I mean, they gave this guy a long leash because he was a first-round pick. If, if he had been a fourth or fifth-round pick, he would have been cut much quicker than he was. He actually wasn't cut. They traded him to the Miami Dolphins for a day three pick, and he didn't last long there either. But I'm glad you bring him up because of how badly they whiffed on him. They spent the last couple off seasons just swinging and missing on tackles. I mean, it, it's ugly in all honesty because he's not the only whiff. I mean, a year after uh, him, they drafted Dylan Radens in the second round um, of the draft, and Radens hasn't developed into more of sort of a part-time swing player for them. He's their sixth offensive lineman. You know, when they drafted him 54th overall, they thought he was going to be a solution. He hasn't been. Then you've got the Nicholas Petit Freer drafting that hasn't worked out. They traded for Dennis Daly a year ago. They signed Andre Dillard. That hasn't worked out so far. It's just been miss after miss at the tackle position. So going back to Radons for a second, because he was a guy who was a short-armed tackle prospect, and there were people who thought he was going to stick there. I said, no way. I'm a, I'm a big Nazi about arm length at tackle. And the guy who did end up sticking is the guy who's playing left tackle for Indianapolis right now, who's not terrible, but it was the converted tight end. Um, I think you're thinking and, of Braden Smith. He's playing right tackle for no, them. No, it's not, it's no. not, it's oh. not Braden Smith. It's it's the other one. It's the guy they drafted after him. Braden Smith, yeah, Indianapolis leads the league in short arm tackles, but it's, it's the <laughs> is other it Bernard guy. Raymond, the, the European yeah, kid? Yeah, Bernard Ryman. Bernard Ryman, he's yeah. the guy. Yeah, yeah, Bernard Ryman, he has stuck there. But yeah, well, you were right on Raidens, and I was wrong. You know, I thought he had a chance to stick at tackle. And, 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 and you know, it's, it's interesting how unwilling they've been to even try him there, in all honesty, because going back to last year, I mean, De like he was healthy. Dennis Bailey was disastrous at left tackle. I mean, pressures, penalties, snacks, sacks, excuse me, what felt like a snap by snap pieces and it wasn't until uh you know my, if my memory serves me correctly it was week 12 or 13 where they said you know what and this is never going to work in my opinion but they said we're going to go to a platoon where they were actually switching out daily and radiance at left tackle on a drive-by-drive -drive ba basis and guess what the first opportunity they even showed a willingness to try that radiance tears his acl and is out for the rest of the year so they didn't even give him a shot he's got one career start at left tackle and, and it's sort of much for the dire or sort of the displeasure of Titans fans because he played well in that game. It was a primetime game against the San Francisco 49ers a couple of years back where they said, okay, they've got a young LT. Uh, they put Bosa on that side. And, and it was interesting. Raidens did so well. Midway through the game, they switched out Bosa. They put Bosa, lined him up opposite the right tackle because Raidens was playing so well. And that was a, uh, a one-game experiment because Taylor Luan – I think was out with injury or whatever it was. Then one came back. They essentially never put Raidens at tackle again. So Titans fans are asking for it once again right now uh, because Andre Dillard is not their, you know, their quote unquote prize free agent signings, not playing well at left tackle. 
All right. I, well, that's a good run through the offensive line already. I, uh, let's let's move on to quarterback and talk a little bit about Ryan Tannehill, where he is at this point in his career. What's new about his game this year? I, You know, Ryan Tannehill and, and Titans fans find it interesting when I say it, he's the same quarterback that he was in 2019 and 2020, 2020 when they were putting up approximately 30 points per game. And he all of a sudden looked like one of the you know top 10, top 12 quarterbacks in football. He has not been able to recapture that production. What has changed, in my opinion? Not Ryan Tannehill, the supporting cast around him. You know, I've always felt that he's a system quarterback that can execute well when things are going well around him. Well, after that 2020 year, uh, things have not gone well around him at all. It's just been misfire after misfire, some of which I covered on the offensive line. You know, certainly the revolving door at left tackle has really affected him. I even go to right tackle or once upon a time, they got great play from Jack Conklin and they let him leave in free agency. They haven't been able to replace him either on the right side. Again, you go back to Isaiah Wilson, Dylan Raiden, Jamar, Dennis Kelly, once upon a time, like all the re- players they've played at right tackle. And then certainly the issues at receiver, you know, when they, following that 2020 year, where I believe that they lost to the Ravens in the playoff game. They allowed Corey Davis and Jonu Smith, two players who were very productive members of that offense, to walk in free agency. Now, you can look back, you know, based on what's transpired since and say those were the right moves. You know, Corey Davis and Jonu Smith, they landed very large contracts in free agency. Well, fast forward to today, Corey Davis is retired and Jonu Smith is no longer with the team that gave him that contract, right? The New England Patriots who traded him to the Atlanta Falcons actually reunited him with Arthur Smith, by the way, who got the most out of him in Tennessee. Well, regardless of how those contracts have worked out elsewhere, they were very good players for the Titans and the Titans have not been able to replace them, right? Wide receiver two has been an issue. They threw resources at the wall. Nothing stuck. Julio Jones, Robert Woods, huge misfires. Of course, Titans fans recall the trade, you know, sending AJ Brown to the Philadelphia Eagles. You could hear the collective heartbreaking of the fan base uh, once that happened. It just the situation around Tannehill just has continued to deteriorate, right? They, what did they do with that pick they got for A.J. Brown? They drafted Traylon Burks. Injuries, recurring injuries have kept him from being the number one receiver they hoped he would be. Uh, not even sure yet if he's going to play in this game Sunday against Baltimore. He's missed back-to-back games with a knee injury, his second knee injury since the month of August, if you're keeping track. And last year was a concussion and turf toe that limited him as a rookie. So, it's the situation around Ryan Tannehill that's really, really deteriorated um, since those, you know, glory years, so to speak, of 2019, 2020, back-to-back playoff appearances, played really well uh, in those years, went to the AFC Championship game in, tw- in 2019. Um, so, you know, that's the type of quarterback. He's a system quarterback. When things are going well around him, he executes the offense at a high level. When things aren't going well, He's not a, you know, a Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen type that's going to elevate the supporting cast and and make plays off scripts. That's one thing that I've always found very curious about him. And you'll know this, Ken. He's a very mobile quarterback. Like he can run once he gets outside the pocket. I don't know that I've ever seen a quarterback that is athletic that struggles so much to create outside of structure. Like he is not going to evade pressure. He is not going to create off script. That's not who he is. But if you get him on a designed run, he can go for 10, 15, 20 yards. He's been a very effective runner in the red zone, has scored a bunch of rushing touchdowns for them. But he's certainly not someone that does a good job evading pressure. 
All right. So the, the, the thing that the Ravens have done consistently this year, and basically they've, they've said defensively, I dare you to, to beat us in this formation, is that they've stayed in a, a, a deep cover two shell, uh, a cover two shell, let's call it, not a deep cover two shell, but a cover two shell and, and played a lot of zone defense. Um, they're, they're very comfortable continuing to stare down the quarterback and trying to figure out where he's going with the football stay in the zone with where they've been effective. And that also has the impact is it reduces the negative impact that their depleted corner group has uh, and, and increases the responsibilities of their two linebackers who've both been good um, in terms of, of, of stopping the run. So the question is for Tannehill is what kind of a zone busting quarterback has he been career? Not great <laughs> in all honesty. I mean, look, the, the strategy in this game, and I think you've mentioned Ken, is that the Ravens have played a lot of light boxes this year as well, right? And tried to dare teams to run the yes. football. Ryan Tannehill is at his best when Derrick Henry's running the football effectively. You start getting those defenders to creep in towards the line of scrimmage. Those safeties got to take play action seriously. That's been their offense since Matt LaFleur installed it, hell, four offensive coordinators ago. They want to run the football effectively. They want to suck in the defenders, suck in the linebackers, even suck in the safeties to creep down towards the line of scrimmage, and they want to hit you with play action, right? That, that, that has been Ryan Tannehill's bread and butter since he's been the Titans quarterback. It's been play action. And look, they had a lot of success with it when A.J. Brown was there where he was running those in-breaking routes towards the middle of the field, placing lots of stress on those inside linebackers, right? On the play action where we're going to suck you in and then we're going to hit it right behind you, right? And then a guy, and, and, and I felt at the time, they built this, this offense by design. A.J. Brown, big-bodied, strong receiver. Corey Davis, big-bodied, strong receiver. John U. Smith, big-bodied, strong tight end. What did all three of them have in common? They were excellent at creating yards for themselves after the catch, and they break a lot of tackles, right? And the three of those guys, that was always the key, right? Hit you with the play action, maybe create a one-on-one -on -one opportunity in the open field, and our guys are going to go break tackles, right? And Traylon Burks is built in that mold, so to speak, and that's why they drafted him, but he's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay on the field. DeAndre Hopkins is not that guy, right? DeAndre Hopkins is going to get tackled as soon as he makes the catch, right? So in terms of zone busting, what they're going to want to do is try to get this run game going, see if they can get the Ravens maybe out of that shell, suck those defenders in, and try to hit the play action behind them. All right. All right. Be interesting to see how that works out. Uh, you went through the offensive line a little bit, so let's jump into the wide receiver group a little bit and talk about what each brings to the offense. Yeah, certainly. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, when they signed him in the offseason and it felt like you know, a little disrespectful to him that he lasted as long as he did right on the open market. And and, and let's call it what it is. Um, he took the money in Tennessee, right? It was the best offer he had two years, uh, about 26 million, which, I, you know, I didn't find to be an outrageous offer by any stretch of the imagination, but it was more than what the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, some of these legitimate Super Bowl contenders could afford to pay him. He took the money. Uh, of course, you know, a relationship with many coaches on the Titans staff did not hurt, right? He spent time with Mike Vrabel in Houston. He spent time with offensive coordinator Tim Kelly in Houston. Really good relationship with both of those coaches. And Charles London, by the way, who I believe is the quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator um, for this team currently. We also spent time with Hopkins in Houston. So lots of familiarity and, and, and much to the, you know, the the thankfulness of Titans fans, he's come as advertised. You know, when they signed him, it was another, oh boy, we know how the Julio Jones experiment went. We know how the Robert Woods experiment went. Are we bringing in another 30-year-old receiver 
who's out of his prime and this is going to be a mistake. No, he's been quite good in all honesty. And he had his best game of the year on Sunday, eight catches, 140 yards um, against the Colts. And he's immediately become Ryan Tannehill's go-to weapon. And got to have it situations, that's where he's looking. He's been a terrific mover of the chains on third down. In fact, they've done something with him this year that I've never seen them do or never seen anyone do with him. He's lining up in the backfield with frequency, not because they're running jet sweeps or they're giving him carries. No, he is starting his He's running routes from the backfield. And here's a stat that blew me away. I think might surprise you as well, Ken. He's averaging a career high 2.54 yards per route run this season. That's, that's a career that's a, high. That's mark. an enormous number. Yeah. That's a career high mark for him. Now, part of that in fairness is he's running less routes. I think, you know, with his age, they are taking him off the field a little bit. So I think the sample size has something to do with that, but it does still give you a glimpse into how, you know, they're utilizing him this year. He's his own buster. He's a, they're gotta have it guy on third down. You know, ideally Traylon Burks would be their ex um, and they're moving Hopkins around. He's playing out the boundary. He's playing the slot. They want Burks to be their ex. You know, it just a lot of hype coming into this year with, uh, he had a terrific off season by all accounts, a great fall, a great training camp. Just hasn't translated, right? Again, injuries keeping him off the field. Um, you know, I thought in the first game there was some opportunities where Tannehill, you know, Tannehill had a nightmare in week one, three interceptions against the Saints in a one-point loss. Just didn't look his way enough. But what Burks brings to the offense, <laughs> they want him to be their A.J. Brown, right? They want him to break tackles after the catch. Uh, they want to run some gadgety stuff with him. They want him to run those in-breakers off play action. And he's a terrific blocker as well in the run game. Let's go back for a minute because I just did a little math on the side here. So if I take 2.54 yards per route run, I take 356 yards. I think I got I got 140 targets, uh, 140, uh, sorry, routes run. Tannehill's only had 142 attempts. So it sounds like he's been on the play basically for every Tennessee passing play. Has it, has it been a tell from your perspective that Hopkins is on the field when he's when uh, is always on the field when they want to throw a pass? It certainly can be, yeah, because I, I do find when they want to run the football, uh, they'll replace him with Nick Westbrook-Akine, who was the next receiver I was going to get to because Nick Westbrook-Akine um, is an outstanding run blocker, outstanding run blocker. In fact, it's probably it's partially why he's still on the team, in all honesty. Nick Westbrook-Akine is sort of a, a try-hard, uh, you know, doesn't have a lot of athletic ability. He's not going to blow you away with the 40 times, certainly not going to run away from you in the open field. What does he bring? Uh, he's an outstanding special teams player. He's one of the smartest football players on the entire team in terms of he's always where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. The, the depth of routes, there's never anything off. He's always at the sticks. They love Nick Westbrook-Akine. And in fairness, he's been pretty good this year. You know, he had a great game a couple weeks ago against the Cincinnati Bengals when he started in place of Traylon Burks due to that injury, um, scored a touchdown in that game, uh, certainly stepped up to the plate and helped replace Traylon Burks. But I think that's a great question you ask because I have found this year uh, when DeAndre Hopkins isn't on the field and it's Nick Westbrook in his place, uh, more often than not, it is going to be run. All right. All right. Interesting. Well, I, I you know, I think we know some we, we Ravens fans know Derek Henry farewell, but, but talk through what he's doing this year, maybe a little bit differently and who else they have in the backfield. You know, if you were to just look at Derrick Henry's statistics this year, um, you know, you'd probably be fairly disappointed and you say, oh, you know what, he's, he's getting up there in age. Perhaps he's starting to fall off. No, I, I don't think that we've seen a different Derrick Henry this year. I mean, at times 
we have seen vintage Derrick Henry. And I certainly don't want to absolve him of all blame, but certainly like if you watch the tape from this past Sunday against the Colts, I mean, they got beat up on the line of scrimmage. I mean, they, they lost both sides of the ball offensively and defensively. Derrick Henry had someone in the backfield that felt like every single rushing attempt. And, and that's not who Derrick Henry, he's never been that guy, right? That mixed guys miss at the line of scrimmage. In fact, you can go back to his 2000 yard rushing year. A lot of those runs got stuffed at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, he's not going to make you miss if you're already there. So once he picks up a head of steam and you let that, you know, 6'3", 250 locomotive train get up to speed, that's when he becomes a handful, right? So I, I think we've seen a similar Derrick Henry. What's changed for him is certainly he's in more of a platoon this year than he's ever been, right? They really like third-year rookie, uh, sorry, third-round rookie Tajay Spears out of Tulane, um, who has been outstanding in all honesty. And there, in fact, there have been a couple of games where he's out-touched Derrick Henry. He's out-snapped Derrick Henry. And, and that's been a surprise. But, you know, they've been looking for that guy for a couple of years. And that, that sort of change of pace, the lightning, you know, the, to the thunder, if you will. If you recall, they drafted Darrington Evans, Darrington Evans, excuse me, a couple of years ago at, at State. It just didn't work out, right? Once upon a time, they brought in Dion Lewis as a free agent. Uh, to pair with Derrick Henry, that didn't really work out either. And now they've got Tajay Spears, and finally it feels like, you know, third time's charm because he's been outstanding for them. Scored his first touchdown of the season uh, Sunday against the Colts on an, an outstanding, uh, I believe it was a, a jet sweep, if I recall, or an end around. I'm, I'm trying to recall the play. I believe it was an end around. Made a couple guys miss in the open field on route to the end zone. Uh, so that's really, I would say, the biggest difference with Derrick Henry this year is he's coming off the field more frequently. Look, if they fall behind I think it was the Browns game. They lost 27-3. I mean, he, he he didn't see the field for a lot of that second half because they're just going to go to Tajay Spears as they're in. And that's, look, that's not how they want to play, right? They want to play with a lead, uh, as you well know. They want to run Derrick Henry. You recall the playoff victory they, they had over the Ravens, the regular season victory over the Ravens that followed, where he was a big factor in both of those games. The, the, the philosophy hasn't changed. They want to run Derrick Henry. They want to play with a lead. Certainly, they're getting Tajay Spears some early down opportunities, even when the game is close, you might be a bit surprised at how involved he is. But if it gets out of hand and they're trailing, you won't see Derrick Henry for the rest of the game. It's going to be exclusively Tajay Spears. All right. All right. That's it. So trying to keep that pitch count low for the, for the season as a whole. And in Henry's case, that sounds like, uh, talk about the tight end group. Yeah. A lot of changes going into this year. Uh, you know, they were expecting a big second year jump, from their rookie tight end last year uh, out of Maryland, Chigakonkwo. Um, not there yet. In all. I think they were expecting him to be a huge part of the passing game, and we haven't really seen it, right? And they brought in a couple of different guys that are playing quite a bit as well. They brought in Trevon Wesco, free agent, uh, free agent signing from the Chicago Bears. Why did they bring him in? Well, he's known as one of the best blocking tight ends in all of football, and they didn't get great production out of that role last year from a, a fellow veteran, Jeff Swain, who they did not consider re-signing in free agency, let him walk uh, and replaced him with Wesco. And Wesco has been pretty good, certainly been an upgrade for them um, in that role, both in pass protection and as a run blocker. The third tight end is a rookie, another day three rookie uh, that they have in Josh Wiley out of the University of Cincinnati. Uh, Wiley had a nightmare start to his tenor in Tennessee, not good uh, in training camp, had an injury that limited his opportunities, had a couple of fumbles in the preseason, sort of limited how much they were going to trust him. Well, he find and by the way, sorry, quickly going back to Chigakwankwo, 15 catches on the year for 104 yards. 
that's not what they expected out of their second tight end, who they, again, they, they anticipated being a big, big role uh, for him this year. Sorry, back to Wiley. Kind of broke out of his shell, so to speak, earned the trust of the coaching staff in that big win over the Bengals. He had two catches for 26 yards, including a touchdown. One of those catches went for 24. The touchdown, by the way, was thrown to him by Derrick Henry, which is certainly a wrinkle. Uh, I, uh, not to bring up sore, but Ravens fans will remember that, right? I think yeah, Derrick Henry threw a touchdown uh, during the postseason game, but uh, they're still using him in that role. In fact, uh, I didn't get to look this up, Ken. You might have you might have known. Derrick Henry was nearly, I would think, the first running back or one of the first running backs to throw touchdowns in back-to-back games. I could not believe they Willard ran a Harrell in the 1970s. Willard Harrell did it in three go. consecutive games for Green Bay. I I, I don't uh, remember much about the rest of his career, but that was. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go to the game logs. I, I remember it happening <laughs> because it was one of these things in the day when you when you uh, lived with uh, NFL Today and shows like that. This was one of the big things they had was highlights of of his touchdown passes. So I can't imagine they'll do it again this weekend against the Ravens, but I was stunned after Derrick Henry threw a touchdown pass in that game to Cincinnati to Josh Wiley that they essentially ran it back and tried a very similar play against the Colts. And uh, this time it went to DeAndre Hopkins and just couldn't get the second foot inbounds. Henry might have been a hair off on the accuracy and outstretched Hopkins, couldn't get the second foot down. But anyway, I'm rambling now. So Josh Wiley in that game against the Bengals, two catches for 26 yards and a touchdown, two-yard touchdown from Derrick Henry. The other catch went for 24 yards, helped set up a touchdown to Nick Westbrook Akine. And he actually threw a crucial, crucial block in that game on a Derrick Henry touchdown run. So Wiley has sort of earned their trust, but that essentially is the tight end. Go to Will Harrell for a second here. From November 16th, 23rd, and 30th of 1975, he had a touchdown in each game against Detroit, the New York Giants, and the, and the Bears Unbelievable. Uh, for, for the Packers. It was a long time ago. Perfect passer rating, three games in a row. <laughs> well, Derrick Henry, the, they call that play, as he likes to joke, uh, go be Peyton Manning. That's what he says play call is when he has to go in there uh, at the goal line. and throw. He's got well, four or five career touchdowns now, Derrick Henry does, so it's pretty – Pretty incredible, and they won't hesitate to pull that out when they're struggling in the red zone. Uh, I can't hear you all of a sudden. Ken, are you on mute? Common problem is I mute myself, and I'm on another screen and looking at something. But mostly it's it's, a, it's inside the five-yard line they're trying it with Henry? Yes, absolutely, within the five-yard. I don't know that I've seen them try it out. I, once a couple a year or two ago, they did try it, I want to say, from the twenty. But certainly, all of I believe all the touchdown passes have come within the five-yard line. But back to the tight end group quickly. Uh, those are the three, right? Chigakonkwo, Trayvon Wesco, and Josh Wiley. And they'll mix the personnel groupings. You know, they're playing all three of them now. Uh, certainly, uh, now that Wiley it seems to be back in the good graces of the coaching staff. All right. Yeah, I did want to make the point that Willard, Willard Harrells were 24, 23, and 14 yards. Wow. They weren't cheapies. They were halfback option plays. I could still have a have a visual memory of these plays back then, but I think they're all like uh, roll right. He's looking to pass kind of plays, and they used to they used to say that about running backs. Walter Payton used to throw a fair number of passes, and uh, it was it was they knew it was kind of a backwards angle they would take in a rolling pocket to the right. All right, well, uh, let's see what else do we have still to discuss on the offense. I think we've we've covered pretty much everything, right? Yeah, I think if you want to uh, know about personnel groupings, potentially. Yeah, 12, 21, what do they run out of most of the time? 
to nobody's surprise, you know, it's going to be 12, right? They want those two tight end sets. That's why they brought in Traven Wesco uh, to be the number two tight end and to be a blocking tight end. In fact, here's a stat. Now, I don't believe it's fully up to date through last Sunday, but uh, should still give you a pretty good telltale sign of where they're at. Uh, when they're in 12 personnel, they got a DVOA of 4.9%. They're averaging seven yards per play when they're in 12 personnel. You wanna what you wanna know what they're at at eleven personnel? Significantly different. Four point two yards per play, a negative DVOA score of thirty two point three. That's negative thirty two point three. So significantly more productive out of twelve personnel. That's no surprise, right? They want to run these jumbo sets. They want to bring in their tight ends. Uh, they're going to play tight to the line of scrimmage. They're, they're not going to be a whole lot of disguising. I mean, there was one play this past Sunday against the Colts where uh, it's a fourth and one. And they're losing the line of scrimmage all day. It's probably where they lost the football game. Instead of kicking a field goal, they, they try to go for the, the, the game-tying score. They've got 10 of 11 players within the tackle box. No, no trickery. No, we're telling you what we're doing. What ends up happening, they're outnumbered on the line of scrimmage. The Colts are playing run, and uh, they're outnumbered, and they can't get a hat on a hat, and linebacker Zier Franklin breaks through and, and tackles Derrick Henry for a loss, turnover on down. So not a whole lot of bells and whistles when they're in 12. Of course, you know, the threat of play action is always there, as I mentioned earlier, but certainly 12 is their go-to. So they're 23rd in the NFL on third down, I noticed, at about 37%. Uh, it, I guess more 11 personnel probably on those downs would be one of the reasons we're, we're saying maybe that it's, I wouldn't necessarily cause and affect that, but I'd, I'd say that corroborates a lot of the results with 11 personnel. Correct. Absolutely. And, and Mike Vrabel mentioned this the other day. I'm going to see if I can find it for you because it's going to be uh, probably pretty surprising to you. Uh, when they've been in third and six or less, they've actually been outstanding at converting third downs. Why are they 23rd? You look at some of those nightmare games they've had. Week one against the New Orleans Saints where he threw three interceptions and was was pressured and was sacked a whole bunch of times. They were disastrous on third down, right? They were two of 12 in that game on third down. Week three against the Browns when they had almost as many penalty yards as they did total yards of offense and Miles Garrett single-handedly won that game, it felt like, for the Cleveland Browns. They were two of 12 on third down once mm-hmm. again. So when they fall behind the chains, and it's third and eight, third and nine, third and ten, and they have faced way too many of those this year, it's been a nightmare. They can't convert those. I mean, look, that that no team wants that to be their bread and butter. We know that, right? But certainly with the shortcomings that they have on the offensive line, some of the shortcomings they have at receiver, you take Derrick Henry out of the equation on third and long, they're not going to run the football. They don't have a top 10, top 12, maybe not even a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. That's not the place they want to operate from, right? They, they're not designed to operate from third and eight, third and nine or longer. But when they've been third and four, they've been third and five, they've been third and six, they've been very good in those situations. And that is key to their offensive success. All right. So we talked a little bit about the Ravens and how they play defense. They they definitely have a perceived weakness at corner. They've actually, in a relative sense, they are the cup runneth over with depth at cornerback relative to some of their other positions where things are, they're, they're, they're suffered all sorts of injuries on the offensive line, the wide receiver running back, all kinds of other positions, but basically they, they, they have tons of corners uh, and they have Marlon Humphrey back now. So the question is um, how do you expect them to attack? What I think is probably the Ravens biggest weakness there. It'd be more play action because it will be zone. I'm pretty sure um, that they'll see, 
I don't know if they're going to see the preponderance of cover two that they have in other games just because of, of Derrick Henry being here. Yeah, certainly they're going to want to hit those play actions, right? Again, the key for them is always staying ahead of the sticks, keeping the game close, certainly, right? If it falls out of hand or if, you know, the Ravens take a multi-score lead, that's when you get the, the Titans' backs against the wall. And they more often than not, they cannot recover from those situations. So certainly I expect them to be play action heavy. It's, it's always been a favorite of theirs since Mike Vrabel took over as head coach. And again, that's going through four different offensive coordinators since Mike Vrabel has been there. And, and play action has always been uh, a big part of what they do. How do they plan? I, I imagine they were going to try to isolate DeAndre Hopkins, right? And, 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 and you know, you mentioned Marlon Humphrey coming back. Uh, yeah, this stuff is always subjective to me. But I believe he gave up, uh, you know, was credited with giving up five receptions on six targets, according to Pro Football Focus. Gave up a touchdown. I believe it was about 70 receiving yards. And a bunch of them, I think, were after the catch as well. So, uh, so basically all on one play that he gave it up. He gave up the, the game winning touchdown. Defense played great the whole game. They came out of their cover two shell to, to blitz the safety on third and four when the, when the Ravens were about three yards away from giving up a go ahead field goal and left Humphrey on an island coming off his injury, and, and he got beat uh, pretty badly by, uh, uh, by Pickens for the, for the touchdowns. That was 41 of the yards right there. It was the only big play they've really allowed the whole season. There you go, right? I imagine they're going to try to... For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs... Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Isolate DeAndre Hopkins against him in those situations, especially with Hopkins coming off his best game as a Titan. But but honestly, some of this also depends on what the personnel is going to look like, right? If Traylon Burks is back and healthy. Uh, they might try to isolate him. You know, he's certainly a bit more of a, of, of a vertical guy than DeAndre Hopkins is at this point in his career. In fact, Burks has one of their, uh, as much as he's been disappointing, he does have their, I believe, their biggest passing play of the season, a 50-yard gain in week two against the Los Angeles Chargers, where he just flat out, uh, I believe it was a, a straight go route, and just got behind the corner and, and ended up being a 50-yard gain and uh, put them in excellent field position. I, I believe it took them down to about the five-yard line, and they scored a touchdown on that drive. So as, as disappointing as this offense has been, they've actually hit quite a few of those this season. Like Chris Moore's got two catches of over 40 yards. He's their number four or five receiver. Chris Moore, on, the ex-Raven? He is, yeah. Chris Moore, okay. a veteran. He's been, you know, he, he's been underrated for them because he come in uh, you know, when they need a guy and he's made a couple of big plays where he's got two, again, two vertical explosive gains this year. And both of them were outstanding catches where, you know, coverage draped on him and he came down with the ball uh, and Deandre Hopkins has a 40 yard gain. So they've hit a couple of explosives this year in the passing game. And I imagine they're going to look for those against the depleted Raven secondary, but back to how they, again, you know, uh, personnel, right? Kyle Phillips just returned. Uh, played his first game of the year against the Colts. He's their go-to slot receiver when he's in there. So I imagine they'll try to isolate him against whoever the nickel corner is against the Ravens and try to look for opportunities with him uh, in the quick passing game. They want to get the ball quickly out of Ryan Tannehill's hands. That sort of helps offset some of the struggles they've had up front on the offensive line. Like against the Saints, I want to say his snap to throw timing was, was close to three seconds. It was not good. And they got a lot of pressure on him. 
to against the Chargers, he got that down to about 2.41, and they had significantly more success in that game against the Chargers uh, because they were getting, and he still took a couple hits, took a couple sacks, but it would have been significantly worse if they didn't get that down to about 2.41 seconds. So uh, they want to get the ball out of his hands quickly. They'll, they'll try to run some max protect and hope that they can hit something down the field, give enough time for those uh, you know long developing plays to occur. Uh, but certainly personnel-wise, uh, back to your original question, I imagine they'll try to isolate DeAndre Hopkins. He's, he's right in the middle of the league in terms of uh, play extension. He's at 2.73. And we've commented on this on other shows. It doesn't necessarily mean anything specific right. when you see a number like that. It's not a low number is bad or a high number is good. If you are a player, you know, a quarterback who likes to extend plays like Lamar Jackson, you probably do want a higher number. You can probably derive a benefit from it. If you're Joe Burrow and you want the hand, ball out of your hands quickly, it's probably good if you could do it in 2.5 seconds. And he's at 2.46 for the year. Uh, Ryan Tannehill at 2.73 is kind of in the middle of the league. And actually, Lamar Jackson's been 2.72. So they've been trying to get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker this year, too, in, in terms of some design throws. See, I think that's an outstanding point you bring up that it, you know, context, right? It's a, it's a case-by-case basis with Ryan Tannehill as I said earlier, probably not a good thing. You know, you'd probably like to see that get down to the 2.45, 2.50 flat range because he's not someone that does a great job evading pressure and extending the pocket uh, when things start collapsing. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Very good point. All right, let's jump over to the defense here. The thing I always like to start with is is what's their common pass defense defense that they line up in? Do they? Do they switch out the weak side linebacker and go to a dime defense or do they stick in a committed nickel or what do they, what do they do? It feels like nickels, the new base, right? Uh, Almost across the board in the NFL, or at least in some situations where they're playing a Elijah Molden is that guy that's going to come in when they take off, um, you know, one of the heavier defenders, so to speak, I believe Elijah Molden is their third safety. He's had games this year where he played a hundred percent of the defensive snaps. Uh, this year and and they love their starting safeties and you'll be familiar with them both in Kevin Byard and Imani Hooker but they're mm-hmm. going to be in nickel right nickel is essentially their base and ideally you know you ask what the mantra is look there, there's not always a ton of bells and whistles they believe in their pass rush they believe they can get after quarterbacks with four and those four are, are typically you know Jeffrey Simmons Dean and Coatry, uh, you know uh, Harold Landry and R and right those are the four when they do want to play with a nose and stuff uh, the middle, it's going to be Tier Tart, their nose tackle, who missed uh, Sunday's game against the Colts. Oh, by the way, it was very uncharacteristic of them. They gave up nearly 200 rushing yards. Zach Moss, who I consider a bit of a journeyman, went off for 165 and two touchdowns. That was very, very unlike the Titans' run defense. And, you know, you could never miss one guy that much. But you do wonder how much they missed here, Tart, in that game. And he's got a little pass rushing upside. So it's not always he's just going to be an early down guy uh, to stuff the run and they're going to take him off the field. But they certainly missed him on Sunday. Now, I did not see that game. But did the Titans struggle with read option plays? Um, or or from Richardson? Or what was going on exactly? In terms Richardson of that left that Richardson left that game hurt in the second quarter. So the Hmm. crazy thing is, no, you think perhaps that's what it was. It was an extremely uncharacteristic game. First of all, they got beat up up front. Not a lot of offensive lines do that to the Titans D-line. That's first and foremost. They got flat out beat. Secondly, they were uncharacteristically undisciplined. I mean, guys were falling out of their gaps. 
They were washed out. Like it was, it was shockingly poor. And I, I think one thing that was sort of concerning was um, it was the worst game this year that their inside linebackers played as Esel Shire and Jack Gibbons. And I think a lot of that credit has to be chalked up to how much help they've received from Tier Tart this season. Because you know what? When Tier Tart's eating up double teams and he's getting into the backfield, those linebackers are untouched. They've made a lot of plays. Sunday against the Colts, that did not happen. They replaced Tier Tart with another veteran journeyman. Jaleel Johnson was elevated from the practice squad. He had a run-stopping grade of 34 from Pro Football Focus, and I would say it was fairly in line with what I saw myself on tape. He was disastrously bad. Uh, and what happened? He allowed those linemen to climb to the second level. They got on Azizel Shire. They got on Jack Evans. They washed them out of those gaps, and it was just a free-for-all. For, I mean, Zach Moss, he had a long touchdown run, but it felt like he got six, seven, eight yards on every single play. In fact, it, it's, it's sort of funny of... Um, what you're used to and what you're not used to. The Titans have been so good stopping the run. I actually forgot what it feels like to not be able to stop the run. I mean, the Colts got that ball back in the fourth quarter with eight minutes left. Eight minutes left when the Titans had the failed fourth down try on the on the, within the Colts' uh, 10, 15-yard line, whatever it was. They got that ball back with eight minutes. The Titans did not see the ball again until there was one minute left in the game. And the majority of that, some of that had to do with the pass defense, which we'll get to. But a lot of that had to do with Zach Moss just ripping off five, six, seven, eight-yard runs every time they ran it. Stayed ahead of the, again, stayed ahead of the sticks. You're second and short, third and short. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen a team bleed off seven, eight minutes of clock when they stared them down and said, we're going to run the ball. You know we're going to run the ball. And uh, the Titans had the number one run defense in the NFL, by the way. And before this Sunday, I believe they were second in the league or third in the league. They've fallen only to eighth, put it that way, after giving up 200, essentially, on the ground to the Colts. So it uh, was very, very uncharacteristic of them. All right. Uh, take us through the the pass rush generally. Who's who's producing in terms of the pass rush, and, and how do, who do they try and have on the field on third down? Yeah, their main producer, certainly, uh, you know, Jeffrey Simmons, right? Their three-tech who they – just signed to a you know a multi-year extension before the season started, nearly hundred million dollars on a multi-year deal. He's as advertised. He's a a handful up the middle. Uh, you know, left guards just cannot handle Jeffrey Simmons on a snap by snap basis. Plays with a certain amount of power and strength. Dina Coatri, who I always like to say I believe is one of the most underrated players in all of professional football. I mean, he's one of the best free agent signings they've ever made. You keep waiting for father time to catch up to Dina Quatri. I think he's 33 years old now, and uh, he looks just as good as he did when he first arrived. Uh, certainly as a pass rusher, he is a load, and, and he's versatile. They'll move him inside, outside. They've played him a lot um, as an outside linebacker, uh, hand-in-the-dirt kind of guy that just overwhelms tackles with power. I mean, he does not look like your average outside linebacker, but that's where they spent a lot of time playing him over these last two years when initially – he was playing inside next to Jeffrey Simmons when they uh, signed him to that. They, they pretty much never drop him to cover. They don't play him. They play him as a four, three end pretty much. And not. Oh as a, yeah. Not yeah. Dina Quatri is never dropping into coverage. The one guy that will drop into coverage on occasion is Harold Landry, right? Who's the opposite on the opposite side there typically lines up uh, above the right tackle, so to speak. And Harold Landry, I was about to get to him. Doesn't look like himself. Um, coming off a torn ACL that ended his season, in fact, before it even started last August, 
you know, all off season, they, they, they told everyone how it's amazing how good he looks. Uh, you can't tell that he's coming off a torn ACL. You can certainly tell he, he, you know, the, the speed dynamic, you know, he's a, he's an outside speed guy. That's sort of been his, his bread and butter. In fact, there was one off season where it's so much as bread and butter. They barred him from using it. Have you ever heard that? I, I thought that was actually a really interesting coaching point where in training hmm. camp, they said, we know you can win with speed. Everyone knows you can win with speed. Don't use it in training camp. Let's see if we can develop one of these secondary moves because there's got to be something idea. else. Really interesting coaching point, in my opinion. And I thought it worked well for him. He just doesn't look like himself, unfortunately. Now, uh, luckily for them, they, they've brought in some guys that have been good this year. Arden Key, uh, who's here on a three-year, $21 million deal. Arden Key has been outstanding. I think one of the better signings dollar for dollar any team made in free agency are, are very, very impressive so far. I uh, believe leads the team in quarterback pressures. He's been outstanding. And a guy they claimed, um, uh, Travis Gibson, who was waived by the Chicago Bears, came in, uh, made his debut actually, didn't make his debut until the Bengals game a couple weeks ago, only played five pass rushing snaps. You know how you earn more opportunities? Well, you have a strip sack. You got a strip sack in one of those five pass rushing snaps, and they recovered that fuck. They recovered that fumble, excuse me. So while they're not getting a lot of Harold Landry right now, who's their second highest paid defensive lineman, is on a uh, really, really big deal. It was unfortunate for them. They signed under that deal. He tears his ACL just months later. Now he's, uh, again, this is his first year back from that. So they're a little fortunate that, uh, that Travis Gibson and Arden Key are playing as well as they are because it's allowed them to sort of, you know, take Landry off the field on occasion. There was once upon a time Harold Landry played like 97% of snaps. It was crazy, like the entire season for them. He just doesn't come off the field. And he's so important to what they do because he's got that ability to drop in coverage sort of from that 3-4 shell um, that they occasionally run. So he has not been himself, but again, Arden Key and uh, Travis Gibson offering them a lot as sort of a uh, like-for-like replacement, if you will. All right. All right. The, the Ravens have been without Tyus Bowser so far this year, and and he had he's an outside linebacker who's dropped to cover about 32% of snaps in his career, probably is the best in the NFL at doing it, but his injury has just really hurt the Ravens pass rush, which hasn't been bad, but it could, it could have been really good if they've, uh, uh, if they'd had Tyus, I think. Uh, outstanding. Uh, let's, let's move off ball. You mentioned the couple off ball linebackers and they were not names I knew. Why don't we talk a little bit about them? Yeah. Zsel Shire and Jack Gibbons, two first year starters for them. Um, they essentially retooled the entire position group. If you look back to last year, you know, ideally they were going to start with David Long and, excuse me, and Zach Cunningham. Uh, both of them ended up getting hurt. They didn't play a lot of football. When they got to the offseason, they allowed Long to walk in free agency, sign with the Miami Dolphins. That was, in fact, an effort to sort of replace um, or, or get away from injury-prone players. Two years in a row, they essentially led the league in missed games due to injury. And David Long, as good as he was, always seemed to be dealing with something. And it was typically soft tissue related. So they moved on from David Long. Zach Cunningham was a cap casualty. I mean, a straightforward decision. They saved quite a bit of money against the cap after he essentially contributed nothing for them last season. Went out and uh, Jack... Was uh, Zach Cunningham still on the deal that he had signed originally with Houston? So Houston ate the signing bonus and you guys were just paying out the per year salaries at the end of that they were yeah he was on the same deal that he was in Easy. on in houston so it was a no-brainer to sort of you know when they brought him in i was against it because i thought that contract was it, it was 
fair too large for what he had produced in Houston over those last couple of years. But again, what did I say about DeAndre Hopkins earlier? A lot of familiarity with the coaching staff, right? Mike Vrabel was with him in Houston. Defensive coordinator Shane Bowen was also a Texans assistant. And, and, and in fairness, Cunningham came in the middle of that year, played outstanding football for them, outstanding. But then going into last year, hurt his elbow early, was just in and out of the lineup all year long, didn't look like himself, was nursing the elbow injury all year long. It was a no-brainer. To, I think they saved 7 or $8 million towards the cap, and it was money they needed. Um, they entered the summer above the cap, so it, it, everybody knew they were going to cut Zach Cunningham. But in retooling that group, um, you know, everyone thought Monty Rice would be a starter this year. A third-year, third-round pick out of Georgia, top 100 selection. Another misfire, by the way, um, from XTM, John Robinson. Well, it's not uh, Monty Rice. He lost the starting job to second-year UDFA Jack Evans. If you're not familiar with him, I don't, I don't blame you, Ken. Uh, you know, played a little football for them last year. He's someone who quickly endeared himself to Mike Vrabel. In fact, everyone found it very funny where uh, uh, in his first year there, last year as a UDFA, Rabel started calling him Dr. Gibby. He said, why? He doesn't have a PhD. He didn't go to medical school. He's just so damn smart. He always knows what we're talking about in the meeting room. Started calling him Dr. Gibby and uh, was a rotation for them last year, impressed to the point where he's earned a starting job now. The second linebacker is, again, Aziz Elshire, was a rotational player with the San Francisco 49ers, who, in fact, was really good when he was on the field for them. Couldn't get on the field, right? Who do they got out there? Fred, Fred Warner, you know, Dre Green, all types of very productive linebacker. So again, Titans GM, ex-49ers front office exec, Ryan Carthon, brought him over with him on a one-year prove-it deal. Uh, they've gone terrific value contract thus far. He's been outstanding for them. He's wearing the green dot. He's sideline to sideline, you know, equally as effective run stopper, can defend the pass. Um, he did play his worst game of the season, I'll say again, against the Colts this past Sunday. How much of that, again, had to do with, with the nose tackle being out here, Tartan, how much they missed those run-stopping efforts. I guess TBD, but Aziz Elshire has been terrific for them, both on and off the field, by the way. He is a leader in the clubhouse, very satisfied with the leadership, uh, veteran presence that he's provided. And for the majority of the season, he's been very, very good for them. Very different, by the way. I know it's a question you'd love to know from Jack Gibbons. Gibbons is sort of your typical uh, two-down tryhard, right? He's very mm -hmm. smart. He loves to come downhill and impact the run. You don't really want to get him one-on-one -on -one in the passing game. That's a mismatch opportunity for the offense almost every single time. That's why he went undrafted, right? Just didn't have the athleticism metrics. But they bring him warrant. off the field for a dime back. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking at guys like Elijah Molden coming in his place. Again, third safety um, that they play uh, quite frequently with. But when it's when it's the money downs, it's the got to have it on past the uh, you're looking at Gibbons coming off the field and, you know, they're bringing in an extra DB. Okay. All right, outstanding. Let's uh, move into the secondary now to take us through the corner and the and the couple safeties. Yeah, I mean, the safeties, as I said, Kevin Byard and Imani Hooker, I mean, they're one of the better tandems, I think, in all the football. They're in their, God, fourth or fifth year starting together now. And and you see it, the chemistry that they have together is, is, is almost unparamounted. And I think what's most impressive about them is how their skill sets are interchangeable is that both of them are, you know, ball hawking types that can play in single high looks and, and cover sideline to sideline, but they're also both very good at coming downhill and covering a tight end one-on-one. -on -one. And they use both of them as such, right? There's no, you know, this is your role, this is, uh, and this is your role, this is his role. Certainly it's an interchangeable skill set, and you see that with how they mix up the usage. Uh, the cornerbacks have been a problem, Ken. It's very similar, I think, what you've said 
with the Ravens, uh, although it's not injury-related. Christian Fulton, their number one corner, entering a contract year this year, has always been a good, productive player when on the field. Injuries have been a recurring issue with him to the point where people were predicting, you know, after they let go of injury-prone players like Cunningham, David Long, Nate Davis, they're not going to re-sign Christian Fulton. People were saying that before the year. If he can't stay healthy and play a 17-game season, which he has never done, I don't think he's ever come close to doing, they're not going to re-sign him. Well, it's been a different problem this year than we expected. Um, he's mostly been on, he's missed one game to injury, I believe, already. But it's been a production issue. Christian Fulton is playing the worst football of his career. It's been penalty after penalty, and not small penalty. We're talking 30, 40 yards, DP high down the field. Um, we're talking big explosive gains, getting in behind them. Part of me feels for him because what I see when I watch the tape can is a, a corner that's pressing. I see a guy that knows he's not playing very well, that knows he's in a contract year and is trying to land a payday, and he's pressing at the cost of his technique, and he's pressing at the cost of his rules. I mean, there was one uh, corner route he gave out to Michael Pittman on Sunday where Pittman sells the inside release. Christian Fulton has inside help. He knows he has inside help. There is no reason for him to take the bait and break inside. What does he do? He breaks inside. Why, probably? He's hoping the quarterback's throwing it. He's pressing, man. He's looking for a pick. He's looking for a pick six. Something to get him back in the good graces of this coaching staff. Something to get him back in the good graces of the fan base. Well, it hasn't happened for him. What happens, of course? No, it's a corner route. Michael Pittman breaks outside. He's beat for a big, big game. You're muted, Ken. Uh, it happens all the time. Fulton, typically a right cornerback. Does he travel at all? Does he chase? Or, do, or does he stay there at right corner? For the most part, they're not going to chase. No, for the most part, they're going to play their sides of the field and they're not going to chase. And it's something at times I wish they would do with more frequency. But as good as Christian Fulton has been throughout his career, by no means is he a, you know, a sauce gardener, number one, you know, Marlon Humphrey, so to even as good as Marlon Humphrey can be. They don't, he doesn't quite have that reputation. So they've never felt, you know what, we've got a corner that can chase. But I, I, I think, you know, at times, it, much to my dismay, so to speak, what has it led to? I remember a Bills game last year, week two. They're not chasing. So what happens? Stephon Diggs is lined up against a, an undrafted free agent corner that's playing in his first NFL game. And yeah. predictably, Diggs is going to torch him. So I wish they would show more of a willingness to chase. Let's let's take a look at that game then, particularly because it interests me because Zay Flowers is the really big threat on the Ravens. Rashad Bateman would probably be lined up opposite the right corner normally because he's the Ravens' ex receiver and they they are a very right handed team. Uh, so typically, Flowers is going to be lined up on the right side of the offense opposite the left corner as a more than typically a Z receiver, a guy on the outside on that side uh, can be in the slot as well. But if you if you if you set up like this. Who gets Flowers, and how do they deal with him? And how do you deal with a Bateman one-on-one versus Fulton, where Bateman has not had a lot of great opportunities this year so far, and he certainly has not come through in terms of, of catching the football on a consistent basis, but he's still, I think, a very dangerous route runner. Um, is is he a guy that Fulton just has to take one-on-one and they get help for Flowers on the other side? Or what do they do? Yeah, I think that's very likely the case. And, and look, will it be Fulton? I should mention this, by the way. They've toyed with the idea of benching him. 
Like that, like it's mm-hmm. been that disappointing to them that I think Mike Vrabel said at halftime last Sunday that, or he said after the game, we talked to him at halftime about not abandoning his rules and playing with his technique and trusting the coaching points. And we considered benching him at that point in the game and we did it. And then the second half, what happened? He continuously abandoned his rules and sort of, you know, and so there's been some chatter. The issue is, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think they've got the talent at corner to do it. Like they're going to bench not another guy. Yeah. You'd be bringing in Trey Avery more than likely. Um, who's a, a, a second year undrafted for agent who look, they like, and has been productive at like Trey Avery is a battler. Like he is not by no means a, a complete liability. He's a battler. Like I think it was the Cleveland, uh, no, sorry. I think it was the chargers game. They went after him a ton. I mean, I, I, I want to say he was targeted 15 times. It was something outrageous and the numbers don't look great. I thought he played well in that game. And he's someone, he's a, he's a coach's pet because he's not going to abandon his rules. And, you know, he's going to, he, he's one of those guys, he's not going to go in search of the big play. Titans are, are sort of willing to let you try to dink and dunk. They believe in their D-line. Maybe you're going to shoot yourself in the foot at some point. If Trey Avery's going to go out there and give up seven-yard grabs and make the tackle in front of the sticks, that, 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 in, excuse me, that's been endearing to them. Right, like if, if you're gonna go out there and make a tackle short of the sticks, give up seven eight yards, you're gonna get a penalty. We're gonna sack the quarterback because we've got the D line that can get after you. Um, so it could be Trey Avery that ends up lining up with Rashad Bateman. Okay, let's take a look at some of the some of the Fulton statistics because I want to focus in on just this a little bit. So he's given up only 33 yards after the catch of 272 yards on the season. Now. Fulton's been targeted 18 times this season. That's an average of 15.1 yards per target. Yards per target. Not yards per reception. Yards per target. Opposing QB rating is 137.4, I think. Let's see. 137.3. And he's been penalized four times. I don't know why you wouldn't bench this guy. Regardless of who you had. Up next. (laughs) It's... and all four of them have been back-breaking penalties, Ken. Like, they've been deep developing, like, DPI 30, 40 yards down the field. It's crazy because he is a very talented corner. He's a good football player. He has been for them for multiple years. But it's just not falling his way right now. Uh, there was another DPI, by the way, where um, uh, Michael Pittman sold the in and I believe it was – was it another corner route? It's escaping me now. But he got called for a DPI on it. Why? Because he bit. He bit on the fake. He bites inside. They end up colliding. He complained about it after the game, Christian Fulton. I thought it was he had the audacity to say it's really hard to play against wide receivers and referees when you're a cornerback in uh-huh. this league. Well, I'm watching the tape, and it's like, you know what? They call that play. Right, and you'll know this, Ken. They call that when you collide like that because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. If you bite on that fake, Right, and you end up colliding when the receiver tries to come back out. They call that all the. In fact, he was called on the same play a year ago against AJ Brown against the Philadelphia Eagles. You could probably look it up. The exact same route, the exact same play. He's called for DPI back to back seasons on the same play. And you know what I found interesting about that, Ken? Same coach. Who's the Colts head coach right now? Shane Steichen, right? Shane Steichen, right? yeah. <laughs> who was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles the year before when they got him on that same play. So he's not taking accountability. <laughs> he's not playing well. He's again, he's abandoning his rules. He's abandoning technique. He's got to figure it out ASAP or it's Trey Avery. Now you talked about on the other side, 
Zay Flowers. Now, I'm assuming, are they lining him up in the slot, Ken, if you don't mind me asking? Slot or Z, either one, but he's, he's so typically So if he's at the Z, it's going to be Sean Murphy bunting that he's going to catch. And Sean Murphy bunting's playing some pretty good football for them right now. He, again, he's a battler. He's going to give up some things, but he's going to make some plays as well. And at the nickel, it's going to be Roger McCreary, a second-year corner out of Auburn, who, for my money, um, is the best cornerback on the team. And he, he's been outstanding this year as a sophomore uh, uh, so, showed a lot of, you know, first year growth last year. Listen to this. And, and I, I spoke to him and I, I told him he deserves all the credit in the world. Can you know Roger McCreary last year as a rookie corner played more defensive snaps than any player in the NFL. And he split those snaps, the nickel and the boundary. He was playing outside and the nickel felt like they were moving him around on a snap by snap basis. But they, he, never they, he was one of their better corners, so they wanted him in there every play, and that's why he played basically 100% of the Titans' snaps. But as, think, as a first year, I mean, that's that's really impressive. You can play that much ball and snap by snap, and, and, and they had a lot of injuries at corner. It wasn't just that he was good. It was they had so many injuries. Uh, they used a guy they had to count on. He played the most snaps out of any defender this year. You know, they're getting a bit more consistent play now that they've got Sean Murphy bunting. And Roger McCurry, Ken, you'll remember the knock on him maybe coming out short arms. He's just a small guy. It just is what it is. You can't have him lined up opposite X's and, and probably not against Moses as well on an ideal uh, snap by snap. So now that they've got Sean Murphy bunting there on a one-year deal, they have moved him to the nickel. And I imagine they'll be fairly content um, to, to sort of take the, the slot receiver away with Roger McCurry 1v1. And you'll see uh, Zay Flowers against Sean Murphy bunting at Z. Yeah, big the, the Titans as a team... Now, this is not, I don't think this is going to match what we would see, but they, they have, this is oftentimes, this is targeted balls only. So they'll take out opposing quarterback throwaways. But the uh, uh, NFL passer rating against the Titans is about 111.6. So it's probably 106 or something once you take away throwaways uh, out of that group. It wouldn't be any interceptions in there. Uh, there also wouldn't be any TDs taken out by by those, but uh, but it would be a little bit lower, uh, probably because of the throwaways. So that's an interesting group, and I think that's that's where this game will come down to. I'm I'm definitely gonna gonna want to tweet something after after this, or maybe a promo on the show that that uh, this could be a, a an opportunity for a, a player like Bateman to make a comeback this week against a player like Fulton. Absolutely, it is. And look, it's been a problem dating back last year when I, I believe they had the 32nd ranked pass defense in the NFL. I think they gave up the most yards per game through the air of any defense in the league. And now some of that was how good they were at stopping the run, right? It was polar opposites. Number 32 ranked pass D, number one ranked run D. So a lot of teams just abandoned it, right? They abandoned the run and they threw at them with frequency. So I, I, I don't think you know, again, this is, again, fairly subjective, but I don't think they were the 32nd worst secondary in the NFL last year, despite what the numbers say. Some of that was, you know, they had to answer the bell because we can't run the football on you, right? But no, certainly they're a below average group. They've been below average dating back to last season. I think personnel-wise, they're a little better this year, again, because McCreary's taking a step forward and, and Sean Murphy Bunting's playing pretty good football. Uh, but they're still a below average group, certainly, I would say, in that you know 20 to 32 range, probably. Okay. All right. Well, outstanding uh, take through on this. I want you to pick one player on the offense and one player on defense who you think matches up ex- exceptionally well against the Ravens. Well, I, I, I hate to repeat myself, but I, I do think I've, I've got to bring up DeAndre Hopkins, right? Coming off that eight-catch, 140-yard performance, you know, especially if Traylon Burks does not play in this game or if he's limited, 
you can bet your bottom dollar that they're going to look his way a lot, right? Especially with, you know, if he is lined up with Marlon Humphrey, who I think is probably still getting back into the swing of things, right? Coming off that injury, they'll want to see how much of that rust he successfully knocked off and if they can sort of go after him um, in the passing game. And then defensively, I, I have to say Jeffrey Simmons, right? And the left guard right now, Ken, is it is it John Simpson? That's correct. Yeah, he's had a lot yeah, of problems I, with penalties. Last I checked, you know, John Simpson, believe had a, a pass blocking grade somewhere in the mid 40s on pro football focus. And they don't have him credited with giving up any sacks, but, you know, pressures and penalties have been an issue, as you mentioned. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is a, is a handful for, for opposing left guards, right? I mean, he's a handful for good left guards, right? And if John Simpson is a young guy that's struggling, um, I imagine. And look, we know how I think the Titans are going to play. Lamar Jackson, right? It's, it's how they've played him over these past couple of years. And it's how you, you should play him. And I mean, no, he's a terrific quarterback, in my opinion, outstanding quarterback. You've got to stay disciplined, right? You don't want to, you don't want to rush past the pocket. You've got to play your gaps. You got to play some contain. They've tried to take away the middle of the field, right? I think they, they had some success with that in the playoff game and, and try to get him to attack the flank, so to speak, and, and sort of prove that he could be an accurate passer on a throw-by-throw basis. So that's how I expect them to play. But Jeffrey Simmons is certainly um, the one player, I think, on the defensive side of the ball where they're going to look at when they're analyzing personnel throughout this week and trying to identify opportunities. They'll say, okay, we're going up against a young, struggling left guard. Um, You know, let's try to get Jeffrey Simmons isolated in those situations. All right. Outstanding having you on, Justin. Tell folks where they can find your work online. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL as we head into draft season here at the Draft Network. Lots of content for Ravens fans as well, actually. Lots of interviews uh, with draft prospects. I'll be reporting on lots of their uh, Baltimore's pre-draft visits as well. And if you are interested in getting the other side of this thing on Sunday, you can check out my work uh, on SB Nation's Titans Team Fights, Music City Miracles, also Broadway Sports, and the Music City Audible podcast, with which uh, yours truly, Ken, uh, we did the double dip here was my guest this week on that podcast to give us the Raven side of things. So uh, at Twitter, Justin M underscore NFL is certainly where you can follow me for your day-to-day draft uh, content. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'm always open to new ideas, thought experiments, whatever you might have. Justin, thanks again for joining us. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.